In this episode, I'm joined by Principal Corey Tavella to discuss the nine guiding principles of what it means to be a well-led school. That's a school that leads with staff well-being in mind. You're not going to want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture, and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks, and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and wellbeing consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Hello and welcome to another episode of Well-Led Schools. My name is Adrienne Hornby and today we'll be discussing the nine guiding principles of what it means to be a well-led school. Prioritising staff well-being and implementing the right initiatives in schools is the most effective way to ensure that we create a workplace that staff want to show up to daily, even when times are tough in our school. We know that many schools are facing staff shortages and an uptick in teacher absenteeism alongside a pressure cooker of departmental expectations, interrupted learning and a mounting workload with little time or energy to keep up with everything. As a result, staff stress is high, staff morale is taking a hit, teacher engagement is waning and introduced initiatives and strategic plans might be falling on deaf ears. A supportive, well-being-focused school culture has a protective effect against stress and burnout. When you put staff well-being front and centre and do it well, you're more likely to get staff on board with new initiatives, job satisfaction increases, morale is boosted, and school communities begin to thrive. What these call for is a change in our approach to our leadership and a focus on making sure our people feel well supported at work. By adopting a set of principles in order to become well-led schools that reflect what it means to lead with well-being in mind, we can begin to transform the culture from within and better influence positive outcomes in student learning and school achievement. Today, I'm joined by the principal of Thomas More College in South Australia, Corey Tavella, to discuss the nine guiding principles of well-led schools. Welcome, Corey. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Adrian. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Oh, I, I couldn't imagine anyone better to join me for this episode. We've been having a, a good chat before we hit record. So um, I think, you know, a lot of our conversation today will be very attuned. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't wait. I hope we didn't get all the good stuff out the way. Uh, yeah. Probably. We'll just see <laughs> That's right. Now, it would be great if you could share with the audience a brief introduction of who you are and a summation of your career up to this point. It's like a job interview, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll, I'll try and be brief. Brevity is not one of my strengths. I'll see how we go. Um, Me either. <laughs> it's going to be interesting. So as you mentioned, my name is Corey Tavella. I've, uh, I'm the principal of uh, Thomas More College in South Australia. We're a, um, uh, a Catholic school. Um I've been principal here for five years. Um, I love it. Unashamedly love my job. Um, has its ups and downs, but um, you know, really love it. And I think that's that's a really important part of 
being a leader. I think you need to love your role and love your school, and I'm fortunate enough to do both. Uh, prior to this, I was um, a, a deputy principal teaching and learning um, at an all-girls school in the city uh, of Adelaide. Um, was there for about five years and had an acting principal stint and a co-principal stint as well. Um, prior to that, I was a deputy principal at an all-boys school. Um, so wow, the two different. <laughs> I'd love. To, we should do a whole episode on the difference <laughs> between the two. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, those interesting transitions there. Um, for another time. Um, and I've also had experience at another all-girls school as an assistant principal. And um, my longest stint was actually my first school, um, which was a school uh, called St. Columba College, which was uh, about 20 minutes from where I am now in the northern suburbs of Adelaide. Um, and I mentioned that because it was key to formation in the sense that when I went there, it was a primary school built up to a high school. There was lots of newness. So for a young teacher who really didn't have much of an idea what he was doing, uh, apart from the fact that he just wanted to be with kids and um, help them be good people, um, was great from a leadership perspective because um, you sort of learnt on the ground running. So, mm. um, yeah, that, that's my leadership journey. Um, our school, um, I, I talk about it wanting to be the beacon for the north. Um, we're 20 minutes from the CBD in Adelaide, which um, probably for most other areas is not big, but for us it means we're on the urban fringe. And often, um, you know, our school's growing. We've um, had about um, a 300 student increase over the last four or five years. Um, so we're proudly the school for choice in the area. But yeah, that's part of amazing. That, yeah, it's really cool. Um, part of that has been what I call making the um, unknown known. So really shining a light on the good things that we do really well, developing a sense of pride. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a great thing to be the leader of our school. Um, I was just sharing with you before that um, I'm also the, uh, I'm a father to three boys, um, 16, 14 in two days time and seven. Um, lost a bit of hair because I'm um, currently teaching my 16 year old how to drive. Oh gosh. Uh, (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, That's That's a job in itself, just the driving teacher, let alone being a parent too, on top of leading a school of a lot of staff and students. And I said that I wouldn't do it um, between my wife and I. We said that it should be the person to do it, but he's actually a very responsible um, young man and a good driver. So that's been a bit of a pleasure. Um, and I have a wife who's the CEO and I have a wife, that sounds horrible. My wife, <laughs> sorry, is the CEO and founder of a children's charity. So it's, um, yeah, it's busy lifestyle, but it's really good. Yeah, and and as we were sort of touching on before the the show got started, you were saying how your wife was away at the moment. You were solo parenting with the three boys, and how that <laughs> always adds the added complexities in there. But now is you know more a time than ever to be focusing on your well being, so that yeah. you can give <laughs> give to those in your school as well as yourself. So I guess that leads me into the first question that I ask everybody who joins me on the show: is what's one thing that you like to do to look after and support your own health and or well being? Well, I'd say generally it's about balance, and um, certainly as I've become more experienced, a more experienced principal. You know, I mentioned before this is my fifth year. I think I really learned the importance of balance. Um, last night, for example, uh, was able to leave here about four thirty, which is pretty early um, yeah. for me, um, knowing that it was the first night, first school night that my wife had been away, um, and tried to make time to do something different with each of the three of the kids. Um, and then picked up a bit of work a bit later on. And I, I did that because they're all my choices and I did it in balance. Um, mm. So I'm comfortable with that. But um, I, I'm in that balance. I'm really lucky to have um, three really different um, 
young men at home as my boys and uh, my wife who's very dynamic as well. <laughs> and I think between the five of us, there's always something happening. So the balance <laughs> is good. Um, I like to have lots of fun with things that I'm doing, try to find the passion and the interest in anything that I can do. Um, and also probably as I get older, um, my kids tell me I'm old all the time. Um, I, I've probably really realized the importance of fitness as well. Like I'm not a fitness junkie, but I'm still involved in team sports and that, you know, being prepared for team sports means that I'm fit in the off season. Um, so yeah, it's that, that fitness stuff's become really, really important to me. Mm. And the community connection with the sporting groups is another huge one too. So physical well-being and community well-being and that social well-being are, are three major statistically significant impacts on 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 how we feel overall on our level of thriving. So yeah. I, I think team sports is a really great way to connect a few of those different dimensions. And you mentioned the word thrive a few times. Um our uh, SACE board, which is the um, the regulatory body for our year 11 and 12 um, schooling system in South Australia, uh, put a strategic plan in a couple of years ago and centre to that was thriving uh, mm. or the idea of thrive. And um, connected to that was that sense of belonging. And so I think it's what you're talking about before, that it, mm. if you're thriving, to be belonging to something is really important. So probably yeah. that last element of balance for me is um, making sure that I can belong to my workplace. Like I'm not just here to be the principal, I'm here to, to be at a place with the, um, you know, ups and downs, but that I enjoy and I love being at and that I can find positives in. Because um, I think in, in any role you're in, in a school in particular, like, you know, we've got um, just under 1,100 students and 140 plus staff. If I can't find something to belong to and that I can um, excel in or be passionate about, geez, it'd be a, um, a hard place to come. So that that's mm. sort of one of my driving factors as principal as well. Like I, I want our school to be the best. Um, I want our staff to know they're in a good place and I want our kids to know they're in a really good place and hopefully get something out of our school. Well, that's it. Well, inherently we're extremely social creatures and we lived and moved and survived in groups and always have, but sort of in the modern day world that can get a little bit separated and what happened definitely throughout COVID or the research says, and we can see it happening in a lot of schools is that we've got that silo mentality happening because yeah. we are designed to work in groups and with one another and lean on the different strengths and capabilities of each other. And when we're unable to do that, it becomes almost like a survival of the fittest. So think about it from a very primitive standpoint. Then we just get in it for ourselves. And that's something that level of belonging and connection is fundamental foundational human needs. So yeah. I love that you put that front and center. And that's what comes into one of the nine guiding principles. So I'm sure we'll be talking about it. But I know from our little chat before we got on that we talked a lot about relationships and yeah. the important of the importance of them. And you said, I don't know whether that's in line with what you say. I'm like, it's everything that I say. It's the foundational message that I put out in schools is that staff health and well-being and relationships need to be at the core of all that we do. Or the other stuff yeah. just doesn't really follow suit, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, before diving into the principles, it's really important for the audience to understand what well-led schools are. And if you haven't tuned into some of the earlier episodes where I stepped that out a little bit further, just going to do a little bit of a rehash for you. Uh, schools that lead with well-being in mind, so well-being schools, are focused and guided by a set of principles informed by research, but also the experiences of teachers and staff in our schools. So well-led schools understand and embody the concept of people first, then pedagogy. 
So these schools approach their whole school goals with an understanding that if their people aren't taken care of first, it's unlikely that they'll see the outcomes they desire. Now, what I like to say, because um, that was that people first then pedagogy quote actually came from a Dabrowski paper, which is an amazing one, Dabrowski 2020, and I'll link that in the show notes, but it was talking about how we can uh, support wellbeing throughout the pandemic. And that was her main message. But I often say, I think we can at least be doing them both at the same time, because otherwise we can get sidelined by only focusing on people. And then we go, well, what about the students? So I think if we're focusing on the well-being um, and the connections of our staff and students, both at the same time, and those academic outcomes, then we're going to be miles ahead of than what we thought we could if we only focused on an instructional aspect. Um, so with that, we're going to start diving into now the principles of well-led schools. So the first principle that we're outlining is that uh, well-led schools know that healthy, well and engaged staff positively influence student learning. So they appreciate the extensive research that outlines the correlation between staff well-being and mental health and student engagement, mental health, learning and life outcomes. And I've chatted about this on previous episodes, how it's not as easy as A equals B, like let's focus on staff well-being and therefore it will lead to increased student outcomes. It's actually quite multi-layered. So we know, first of all, that impacted staff health and well-being can impact staff mental health and staff mental health can impact the mental health of our students, both both positively and negatively. So uh, recent research came out that showed that in elevated cortisol levels in staff can translate to elevated cortisol levels in our students. And what I always pose the question in when I'm visiting schools is what happens when our stress hormones are elevated? It We find it really difficult to learn and retain information. So we know that point straight off the bat that our mental health can influence the mental health of our students, both positively and negatively. Then staff mental health can also influence teacher engagement or teacher and staff engagement. So when our mental health is impacted, we are more likely to be disengaged in the workplace. So the research clearly states that. And then the flow on from that is that teacher engagement positively and negatively impacts student engagement. And you might have seen this before, Corey, sometimes when there's disengagement in our staff, they find it really hard to, of course, then therefore engage and identify what's going to best engage their staff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, the positive school culture stuff, like it's, it's, it's almost, um, it's just a given. And mm-hmm. Uh, I've, you know, most of the schools I've been at, actually all the schools I've been at have, have been excellent. You can always see, though, people that are disconnected, and it's always a small amount of people. It doesn't matter how good they are as a teacher or how good they might have been. If you're disconnected from the, the vision, then you're disconnected from the operations of the place. And if you can't find value and purpose, it just doesn't happen. Um, so I think that that's core for me to want to build a positive school culture. Um, mm. I'm... I'm reasonably competitive in a few different spaces which <laughs> sometimes has a bit of a negative impact but I've tried to channel that into a positive to mean that like I mentioned it before that I want our school to be the best mm. and it's not necessarily a matter of being um you know the, the best out of everyone else but the best for our school like I, I want our students and our staff to know that when they come here every day they're getting the best that we can provide and therefore they're getting the best out of themselves and that's I know it sounds quite simple but then it can be complex 
Um, and for me, it's about um, having something to believe in. So, mm. you know, when you see and hear your school in, in light somewhere or you hear it, um, you know, something going on, people can be really proud to be a part of it. And you know, that's that sense of belonging that we were talking about before. Mm. And satisfaction um, with the workplace. Yeah. yeah and I, I think it, it, in some ways it comes back to a bit of a um, shared vision as well. Like if as principal, if, if staff can connect with what my vision is, but also my vision is formed with them, then it's our vision. And because it's our vision, um, it becomes everyone's. And it's not a matter of saying, like, when you walk out of here, it's perfect. Healthy conflict is really important. Um, so you know, try to build that environment that it's about shared vision, positive skill culture, but also um, discussions and healthy conflict. And I reckon like that, that that's also all good in theory, but um, I've seen probably two events that have tested the metal of that sort of stuff. Um, one of them was um, uh, COVID. You know, we, we all know uh, COVID hit us. Um, we were um, back in the late late 220, the first major um, Catholic secondary school to be shut down with COVID, with one COVID case. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember of, those days. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a phone call. I remember at 6.30 in the morning um, from um, someone who worked at our office, our Catholic head office, saying that, oh, you're um, positive case of COVID, school shut down, got to shut down your school. And by the way, you can't go into the school and you can't call anyone in, um, but you've got to do this in the next two hours. <laughs> yeah, you go full operational, don't you? Yeah. And then <laughs> I look at that and I think, wow, that's, you know, given where we, it's hard to think back where we were in 220, but how well our, our uh, school dealt with that and worked with it and not just worked with it, but embraced it and thrived from it. It's a real test of our culture because, you know, w- when you lose that, that place that you belong to, I reckon that's a massive test of what you think about the school. And the fact that um, we came out of that um, and, you know, when we were immersed in it in a really strong place tells me we have a strong culture, staff, students and families. Um, the other one was we had an unfortunate um, a student who passed away last year mm-hmm. and um, the way our community responded in that place was just was just amazing. So mm-hmm. um, we, we aim to build those cultures, but when the rubber hits the road, you really see that in action. So absolutely the positive connection to a school is so important that's right and and all of those points that i'm talking about there so when we're focusing on staff mental health and well-being engagement of our staff and of course then our students this leads to as we were just alluding to improve staff satisfaction rates with the school which helps to build the positive culture so what we're trying to get at here is that a focus on well-being is one element of building a really positive culture but all of the other things that you do help to improve staff well-being so um you know good mental health leads to increased engagement but that doesn't mean that we can't of course apply those engagement which uh, practices which are mostly leadership led um to of course then influence the the other areas so you know a focus on well-being mental health engagement and staff satisfaction creates a more positive school culture and vice versa so building a positive school culture influences the others in reverse and so this is where we start to see that it's not just you know you don't bring in somebody like me or a well-being consultant or mm. professional learning on well-being just to teach staff about how they can look after themselves by exercising more or um you know only developing effective coping strategies it is um, around also building the 
the components of a really healthy school culture. And that is the thing that goes on to influence the student academic results, which has been proven in the literature. So we can start to see now how A doesn't always equal B. It equals a million things in between before we get to B. Um, and, And that focus on a positive school culture is also the thing that leads to better connections and relationships. Better connections and relationships across the school is also uh, a leader into uh, changing the outcomes of our student uh, student academic results. So, um, it, yeah, again, it's not so simple, but we can start to see how putting in all those elements together starts to see results. Yeah, and I think um, you sort of you mentioned it before the, the idea of um, feeling positive because you know you can have some healthy conflicts. Important that you, mm. you know that you you can raise something with leadership or with, with someone with a colleague, um, and it's not taken in a, in a um, as a criticism, but it's taken critically, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, and I, I think that's also important. Um, and that starts with leadership too, and that's um, having really uh, strong leaders who are emotionally intelligent because yeah. they can manage that. So I think the most recent research that came out around conflict management was all around the prevention, and that was actually in the emotional intelligence of our leaders. So if we build a culture that welcomes that and supports that and helps our staff to see that we all are different personalities yeah. and somebody might not be challenging you because they don't like you, they just need more data or they need to connect to it in an emotional way based on their personality style. So that's something I'll actually support leaders to do is recognise the varying personalities of their team and then to work out how they can diffuse some of those, um, you know, more robust conversations to um, learn from one another. And you put it so beautifully before is that, um, you know, it's about working together and 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 having those healthy conflicts because, yeah. um, you know, the most successful civilizations or, or groups or clans of people aren't everyone is the same. We we all need to do things that are unique and different, and we need to value and appreciate that in our staff and learn how to work with them. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Love it. All right. So, guiding principle number two is that well-led schools carefully consider how to weave staff well-being into the fabric of the school. So this means that they appreciate that staff well-being is about more than planning and implementing a few initiatives here and there. It's actually about taking active steps to promote and foster a positive school culture that's proactive and not always just reactive um, to creating a positive working environment using an inquiry or an action research approach. Um, Again, that's responsive to the climate and context. So the the main thing here is that well-being should not be an add-on or a chunk of time in a week where we have no additional time. Um, it's, It's about how we actually lead our meetings, how we make decisions, how we talk to one another, how we collaborate, yeah. how the, the whole school culture feels. And if we're just adding on a PL every now and then or a morning tea as the only way that we're addressing staff well-being or the only way we conceptualise it, we're really missing the mark. I agree. Um, mm. I just As you were talking, I've just written down the word culture because that, you know, I don't know if we have any advanced practices as such that, that I can isolate and say this is how we, you know, we ensure that wellbeing um, is genuine. But for me, there, there's two guiding principles that contribute to our culture, which um, I think we do well in. The first one is, um, and I remember um, my, my mentor who I worked with at a previous school, who's still my mentor today, she's fantastic, a very mm. experienced, enthusiastic principal. Um, 
in her farewell, she talked about, um, you know, when, when as teachers we're drawn to students and that, that's one of our callings. And often in leadership we struggle because the, the more we get into leadership, the less we connect with students. But she said something on the day which um, I thought it was so simple but yet so important that the staff become your class as certainly as principal and as leaders. And it's really, I think sometimes we discount that, um, you know, when we're teachers, we know all of our 20, 25, 30 students in our class. We know what this person needs. We know what she needs, what he needs, and we work with them incredibly well and we find ways to differentiate and work with them and to adjust and push, pull and all those sort of things. Sometimes with our staff, because they're adults, we just expect and we think that they'll be okay. And while, you know, people are, you know, mature and qualified teachers and adults and non-teaching staff, they're people as well. So for me, understanding that guiding principle that staff are my class means that I work with them individually. Mm. Um, so I know that there's a uh, there are some people who I can set some ideas with and they just go with it. Some people need to be led instructionally and they want to be. Mm. Some people um, will want to challenge and want to be challenged. So uh, for me, knowing that um, that's going to cater for their well-being and knowing those individuals, that, that becomes really important or has been really important. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, at chatting before, you're a very relationship-led leader and you know that that is one of the ways that you integrate and weave in well-being yeah. to the fabric of your school is that you openly communicate that and you know you so beautifully put it before you co-construct vision with your staff too like that that is a well-being initiative that will work and that yeah. will land and doesn't seem like a standalone because it's something that you do to guide you to refocus you to to keep you on track it's that north star yeah. um and and that is going to be fun far more effective than regular after-work drinks, although that's a great strategy to still <laughs> in bed. We all love that. Yeah. Um, this, is what, this is what I'm trying to get at with that statement. Yeah. 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 Well, the other thing I'll add is that the other overarching principle we work with, um, are you familiar very much with restorative practices? Yes. Yep. So restorative practices is a, is a we, we call it a working with approach, which, mm. you know, is, is that it's um, authoritative is working with someone. And, it's you know it's primarily used as a as a framework to work with students, but it's actually become part of how we work with students and staff. So every leader that we have, the the first element in their PID or their position information document is work in a restorative way with staff and students, which means mm-hmm. that every issue that we have, our start and our default position is working with. So it's a really easy conversation to have because if staff member comes to me with a concern um, and, you know, I'm human, sometimes you get frustrated and all that sort of stuff. I check myself and say, am, am I actually working with this person um, or am I, you know, being neglectful or being punitive or being permissive? Because if I'm entering into one of those sort of three quadrants, I don't want to be there. I want to operate in a working with approach. And so that that's become um, the, the framework for all of our leaders working with each other um, up and down that sort of leadership model, but also our framework for working with students. And I think yeah, if, like if we, how you've integrated the two. Yeah, yeah and it, it just it, it, when when you see situations of high conflict, it's actually the only way you can work mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to work with people. So, like for me, that that sense of understanding that when to in if you're working with someone, you're in relationship with someone, um, then then you can challenge and support them um, mm-hmm. to be their best. And those those two things come hand in hand because a well being framework is for us is not just about. Um, 
uh, supporting and, and you're getting everything you want and it feels lovely. But sometimes as a principal, my job is to challenge you. And mm-hmm. I'm doing so because you care about your work, I care about you. So let's find a way to actually get there. Yeah. Um, and along that sort of um, spectrum of challenging, sometimes I need to push a bit harder, but sometimes I'll pull back and sometimes I want you to challenge me. So staff hear me use the mantra lots of times, high challenge, high support means personal best. And if we're doing that, we're working in that um, restorative, authoritative quadrant of working with people. Mm, and there's that competitor that competitor in you <laughs> wanting to be challenged. Yeah, yep. and, and Rob Lands and I talked about this in episode two when we were talking about a systemized approach to student management in the school. And he his big emphasis and his philosophy was around um, getting to know the student and the person why, you know, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. And yeah. what I liked how you were talking about there was with the staff as well. It's getting to know the staff and why, yep. why they communicate in the way they do, why they like to work the way they do. And, and that's so important for us to build the connections with them because we inquire into our individual staff. And just like I advocate when I'm out in schools is that we need to inquire into what's happening with our staff in terms of well-being. So from a general perspective, we we scan the setting and say, okay, well, what's actually happening for our staff? How are they faring? And what are, are their leading stresses and the initiatives that they think would be most supportive? Like what feedback are they providing? From there, we can identify our priority areas and then we can go into engaging in new learning, mm-hmm. putting in place those actions and then checking in on how we've gone. And it's important that we stay curious all the time um, and open-minded. Um, and like, I love how you said that to to be challenged because in, invariably when we begin to dive into our staff's wellbeing needs, we probably will be challenged because staff will provide us uh, with feedback that we that might be shocking or we might not like for some schools, or if we look at it in the right way, um, is a way forward and a way that we can grow and evolve. Yeah. And that leads really beautifully into into guiding principle number three, which is that well-led schools seek the input and consultation of all staff. So they gather and review multiple sources of wellbeing data and speak and listen to their people. So here school leaders spend time getting to know about their staff's health and wellbeing, identifying those workplace stresses and, and asking which initiatives that they would consider being useful before they actually commence too many of their actions. Um, and this is linked to that, uh, to the inquiry approach that I mentioned before, but it's, you know, a really good place to start when you you, you conduct something like an anonymous staff wellbeing survey that I work with lots of schools on to identify where staff um first of all, are celebrating that things are going well, but also what are the key stresses in their school? Because we experience a lot of similar stresses from school to school. I see it now um, when I'm looking at those national averages, but there are nuances and it's important for us as leaders and as staff to recognise what's happening in our school and open up the floor to staff to give them a voice. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the uh, and the voice is interesting because because we're such a large school we've we've found we've tried to find so many different ways to get feedback but i think um feedback's got to be authentic and uh purposeful like i, I remember being at a school once where um we were you know staff we were asked for feedback and i was on leader at the stage and we got butcher's paper out and we wrote all these great things down I, I still have no idea where that feedback went. I'm yeah, it always through. happens. Well, yeah, and literally, like, I don't know, and we never saw the output. So um, I think it's it, the the purpose needs to be important as well and staff mm-hmm. need to see a process. So as an example of that, um, 
Well, I, I do a um, my own. It's very simple, but my own um, check-in survey at the end of every term, and it's re- the same questions usually. Uh, what's working well? What's not? Um, what What am I seeing? What well, sorry? What am I not seeing that you think I'm I'm missing? Oh, that's a great um, And anything else that you want me to see? And what I saw though, I mean, this is my fifth year here. I was seeing some some pretty um, uh, some patterns that didn't allow me to make much movement. And what I mean by that is that similar feedback happening over time that um, uh, was positive, was really affirming, a few small things that were raised, but not enough that I could, I wasn't seeing enough trends that I could get into. Yeah, there wasn't a theme there. Yeah. Mm. So what I ended up doing with the last one was um, I said to staff, look, I actually care about what you're saying and, and because I care, I actually want you to put your name to this. Um, because I want to be able to follow up because what's really frustrating is that in an anonymous survey, you might get a paragraph response and it just sits there. And I think, well, it frustrates me that someone's feeling this way and I can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and interestingly enough, um, you know, probably get about normally about 20% um, uh, response rate from the staff in the anonymous surveys. We had almost 50% um, oh, from good the... Good job, Corey. That's yeah. high trust. I but love it, it hearing was, that. Yeah, It was just fascinating because when people put their name to us, say, look, if you do it, it I, rest assured, it's not just going to sit with me. I'm going to read it, but I'm going to come and talk to you about it. Now, that was a survey we did towards the end of last year about restructuring. It's actually doing some forward thinking, restructuring leadership of learning this year for next year. And I had a chat to a few people last year, but we're actually, we've got a staff meeting tonight where I'm going to remind staff that um, or refresh their memory in the sense that we did the survey last year. That that hasn't gone nowhere. Like it's sitting with me, and now we've got a chance to start this year. I'm going I'm going to have a chat to you. So if you've said to me you want to talk to me or you've raised something in there, I'm going to follow up with you. I want to hear what you've got to say. And so I, I love checking in with staff um, via surveys, but nothing beats then the face to face stuff. Mm-hmm. And often a survey, uh, a way, an email, whatever it is is a way to get in with a staff member so you can then have a discussion because yes, absolutely. I, I think what I forget as principal is sometimes people are a bit apprehensive in, a, in approaching the principal or approaching anyone and saying what they think. So I try to give people um, a, a bit of an openness to try and get their opinion out there. And then when, once I've seen that, I almost capitalise on it and bring them in and have a chat. Mm. Um, it's so such like- a great way, it's such a great way to do it. And when I'm working with a school to conduct a scan, we'll run the survey. Yeah. We also work together in a staff development session so staff can all give feedback together rather than because the feedback you give from behind a computer, the feedback you give when everybody's giving feedback yeah. um, is very different. The other two things that I encourage that leaders also do as part of that scanning process that can take up to one to two terms is that they talk in their teams. So leaders yes. lead the same discussion in teams and then one-on-one with their staff because, like you said, you pull out so much more information and it also gives you grounds to elaborate. So I'll, I'll often come in and say, listen, from the survey, we flagged that workloads, student behaviour and communication yeah. were issues, but what does that mean? I need you to elaborate further today. And again, we start to look for trends. And the main message I say, especially when we're looking over survey data, is don't get drawn to just one response and hang there. We're looking for those um, consistency and themes. And what you're talking about when you're saying 
there was a few things being raised, but it wasn't enough, is what I like to think is maybe a bit of inconsistency across the school. So yeah. we might one team might be doing really well with communicating, but the other one isn't, or conflict isn't managed in um, one team in one area of the school, but is in another. Um, and so it, we as senior leaders can often think, oh, but I do that really well, but we're, we're we're missing that maybe our middle leaders might need some more support with that or we're not all following a similar approach or process. Yeah, and yeah. and also helping, and this has probably been a growth point for me also as a principal, helping um, our middle leaders understand that a little bit of silence in those meetings is actually okay, like a little bit of thought time and process time is all right. So it's fine to have uncomfortable silence. It's fine to let people think. You might just throw a word out there to provoke a, a comment, but it's actually you don't need to fill in the the um, empty noise with voice just to get to an, a point. It's timing and working it through a step process is important as well. So Absolutely. ultimately it, it's just about, for me, trying to find conditions that will help staff get what they want to say out and then get those opinions validated and also allow me to explain um, maybe why um, what they're suggesting might why it might not work. Yeah, and we and having those conversations is really important because it validates that the feedback's been received yeah. and we've considered it. But unfortunately for this reason, it's not going to work or it's yeah. not in alignment with that co-created vision. That always helps to scaffold with mm. that. And and what you're talking about is what you've created in your school, like I said before, is is high trust. And yes. That's really important and there might be uh, leaders listening who might jump straight into sending out an email that says, I want your name to it, but that might not always work in every setting. So it's important, like what we were just saying, that your staff see that the feedback or the consultation that they provided has been actioned. There's nothing more frustrating for staff members who provide feedback and they get nothing in return from it. They don't see the data. They never see it again. It's never um, reviewed. And that's one of the things that can road trust. So if I'm coming into a school, I say, we're putting this out there. You need to keep feeding back and referring to that data. And I'll do it every term when I come back in because they want to see that the 10, 15, sometimes 20 minutes that they put into a survey to, you know, to take the school to the next level is actually um, actioned and reviewed and considered. I think purpose is important there as well. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they're action reviewed and considered. I think uh, everyone needs to, uh, and it's probably led by the principal or the leader, um, understand the process and the purpose that you're working with because is it consultation to come to a final point or is it consultation to break something open and that's the end part because then mm. it's taken somewhere else. So, Because it can be really disheartening if you think you're having a say to make a final decision then you realise you actually weren't. Absolutely. So that, that purposeful consultation and communication is really important. because like the learning intention. <laughs> Correct, yeah, Yeah. and you're right because sometimes, I mean, ultimately my job as principal is to, you know, keep the school moving and progress it as well as I can and create the safest environment so people can thrive. And that sometimes means I need to make some tough calls. Now, I'll, I'll along the way, I'll say, look, I need your help with this. This is, But this is along the spectrum of that, making that tough call where I need your help. Is it at the start to break it open or is it at the end to bring it together? Um, so, yeah, make I think making that really clear is really important too. Yeah, that's, that's ultimate transparency really. Yeah. Um, and that I think oftentimes is where staff actually report that communication is a challenge. We think as leaders when we see communication is poor, when staff say that, we go, oh, but I do send out emails and I 
I and I do communicate at the staff meeting. Oftentimes, I actually see it's more to do with vision, direction, clarity, yeah. um, and and decision making and transparency. So we need to not get caught up too much there in 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 thinking it's just in our messaging. Uh, sometimes it is, but oftentimes it's in transparency and involvement with decisions and um, tying up the loose ends because there are so many <laughs> in yeah. schools. And um, yeah, and yeah, I think that that's and again another important factor in trust is having that involvement. Definitely. And I mean, all yeah, all of this leads beautifully into the next point, which you know, guiding principle four is to recognise that awareness is the first key to change. So leaders and staff in a well-led school are open to hearing feedback and value communication and transparency, which builds that culture of trust, honesty, and inclusivity. And in a well-led school, everybody is open to providing and, and receiving uh, respectful feedback, I have to preface that, and, and considering how to act on it in a way that's conducive to change and leads to overall transformation. And I loved your point before, Corey, about um, communicating what the feedback is for and how it will be used. Um, and, you know, I, I've learned, and in my past, I haven't always been open to receiving feedback. I think that I might be, but found it quite challenging. Um but, you know, when we are open to taking that on and just seeing it as an, as an avenue for growth, we can develop ourselves professionally but also personally too. Yeah. I think that also connects something we spoke about before and the idea of being a present leader because um, like if staff can see you present in, and I don't just mean physically present, I'll try and explain this in a minute, but staff know you're present and you're open and you're aware to them and aware of their needs, um, the more likely they're going to come and be able to see you and raise things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think presence has become really important for me because I want my staff to know that, A, I'm, I'm here, um, and even to a point where we have a, um, an, a memo that we share every week that's sort of our one constant form of communication. And I've got to a point where I've got a section at the end of it that says me this week, and I won't, won't detail my full diary, but I'll say, look, you can expect to see me. I'll be here and fully present on these days, right? But, um, you know, like, for example, I've said today, you won't see me on a Tuesday afternoon um, because we're, I'm doing this. Um, I mean that I've said exactly what I'm doing, but I think that sort of transparency is important to know that, if I'm going to be here for three days in the week, I want the staff to know they can see me um, both coming into a meeting or organising a discussion or being around the yard, right, and also being present in the emails. But I also want them to know that my presence um, might be needed elsewhere and so I'm not ignoring them, but this is where my presence is at the moment. So mm. that, that sense of presence has been really important to me. Um, it's changed a little bit from when I used to be a deputy because um, – Part of my initial role as a deputy principal was that that structural and organisational leadership. So it's very much set goal, achieve goal, tick it off, move on to the next goal. And I developed a bit of a metaphor for myself along, actually it was probably a phrase coined by one of my prior leaders, the Corey train, that I got so good at leading the train <laughs> that when I stood, looked behind me, I realised there was no one on the carriage. So oh, no. I'm doing all these checklists and that's great, but no one's with me. Yeah, um, yeah, I've been yeah. there before. I actually had to have a deputy say to me that I needed to master the art of leading from behind and not always from in front yeah. because did everything for everybody and that only lasts for so long. We need to upskill and empower our staff yeah. too. 
And that's all about feedback. And, um, you know, I had to take that on early in my career too and and develop my own self-awareness. And it's important for us as leaders to realize that if we're going to be emotionally intelligent and be able to connect with our people and with our students, with our community and be able to lead the pack, I mean, that's, that is our role. It begins with the development of self-awareness and that's both internal and external. So an inner understanding of ourself, but also an understanding of how others perceive us. And if they perceive us as somebody who does, 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 um, then maybe we, and we don't think that, we think the opposite, well, we might need to be working towards developing our self-awareness to another level because it's important for us to have both. And, yeah, the the self-awareness and the way you're perceived by others is vital because we get so stuck in our roles that... um, and part of the way you work just just becomes what you do, and sometimes you don't you're not aware of what you're doing. And so I found the last few years getting involved in leadership courses that involve some level of 360 feedback that yes. allow me to check in with someone else. Because my, uh, the most recent one I've done was with my own executive team, and we're actually leading that with my team again this year. Um, but then also I've checked in with some other staff because it's part of courses that I'm doing, but it's great to be able to use that to get the feedback because you get some really good affirmation stuff, but then you get things that um, think, oh my goodness, do I actually do that? And then I think you've got to work out, well, is it is it someone's perception or is it more than one person's perception than if it is? Am I comfortable with it? Do I need to change it? If I want to change it, great. If I don't, maybe I need to maybe make it a bit more clear as to why I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the constant, um, or oh, sorry, consistent feedback is important. But I also reckon there's a there's an importance of um, knowing yourself really well because if if you are constantly trying to seek feedback to improve yourself as a leader, then you're becoming a leader for someone else and not the core of who you are. So Absolutely. there's a real sense of mix and match there, but also a real sense of emotional strength needed too. Yeah, and and that's where it comes down to if people are providing feedback and it's not being acted on, we're clearly we're not, we're we're not um, you know linking the A with the B, mm. and that can happen. I work with um, a lot of principals and school leaders who will ask for constant feedback all the time, and staff become a little bit disgruntled when it's not yeah. acted on. We need to go back to the beginning. Okay, this was identified first. How can we address that? And I think if you're often disagreeing all the time with feedback that's provided to and providing excuses, then that's another level of self-awareness that we need to develop as well. Because again, if there's themes and, and trends in, in the things that are coming forward, then it might be an area that we, we need to address. So um, self-awareness is, is really important and it can be developed. It's not, you know, some people probably have it role modeled to them in their early life. So therefore it's a lot easier, but the rest of us, we can certainly develop our self-awareness. It's a muscle that we just have to flex over time. I think for me, a key in that has been learning to shut up too. I'm probably not going to find that very well here, but you know, when someone comes in with with ideas and you just want to jump in straight away, but the importance of active listening to let people say what they want to say, um, to you know, looking them in the eye and understanding what they're going through and all those sort of things is so important because you you learn and you pick up stuff that you might have had no idea about, either about yourself or about the person or about the school. Um, but you, you just need to give them time. Like I've, I've mm-hmm. worked with people who are um, sometimes just waiting for you to be quiet so they can jump in with their own point um, and they're not actively listening. So that, that sense of active listening and, and just letting things go and letting things settle and also being, you know, being uncomfortable with silences for a little bit and letting ideas permeate is really, really important. 
Yeah, absolutely. I always say I like the idea of writing down all of the main points that come out as they're talking, because then that way you don't get stuck on the things that stand out most to you. Um, And like you said, you're waiting for your opportunity then to respond to that one point. You're actually Mm. taking in everything that was said and you're able to better evaluate the conversation once it's completed. (laughs) All right. So our next point, guiding principle five, is that well-led schools are led by highly skilled and emotionally intelligent leaders. So knowledgeable leaders are informed by the most up-to-date research in effective leadership capabilities and personal attributes and are skilled in ways to support staff well-being and mental health in order to build a positive school culture. So The team really appreciates, and this is the leadership team I'm talking about, their influence and is aligned by a shared vision and approach. And we were talking about this before. Gone are the days of instructional leadership. Education nowadays, I think it's always been, but particularly now, is highly emotional and relational. So it's really calling for leadership that's either servant, transformational, empowering and or distributed. And I think that we can weave them into into our own unique approach. And um, I really like transformational leadership because it calls for the soft skills required alongside those harder skills. So, you know, hard skills are our bread and butter, our administrative load, knowledge of the education and academics. But those soft skills are the personal attributes and emotional intelligence required to lead diverse groups of people. And you and I have talked about this multiple times throughout today. We both get that. Um, But I'm interested to know, Corey, what kind of leader would you consider yourself? And, and what's your approach to leading your school and staff? We've covered off on lots of little aspects of it today, but if you could sum it up, what do you think? Yeah, um, it's it's probably hard to summarise in one way, but I've, I've got a, a tool that's it's helped me understand a bit more about myself as a leader. Um, you'd be familiar with the Enneagram. Um, yes, yeah. yeah. Yep. And so I, I've, I struggled a lot with, um, you know, the, the variety of different um assessments or tests that are out there that sort of pigeonhole leaders into one of four quadrants or whatever. The Enneagram has been the most useful for me because um, it's diverse. There's nine types, but it's not pigeonholing a type. It talks about when you, where you go at your worst, where you go at your best and where your key elements are. So uh, I am um, a card carrying number three. Um, I'm, I'm a, um, I'm an achiever. Um, I, I like to do things. I like to achieve things, but probably as a leader, I like to lead teams that do and achieve things. And it comes back to that idea of, you know, competitive and being your best, Um, Mm. not to the point where you are winning, um, but you feel comfortable and really happy that you've pushed everything out and you feel satisfied by it. So So it's high expectations, yeah. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Which forms part of transformational leadership too. (laughs) So Again, you've heard me use words like high expectations, high support, personal best, um, but that leading... um, in a way that wants to achieve and wants to see outcomes and reflects on those outcomes. Are they the best? Could we have done better? Um, are we happy with them? Because if we are, that's great. Um, so that that's probably in one way my guiding leadership principle. The challenge for me as well that I'm a, also a card-carrying introvert. Um, I don't show it very often, but I am. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you you sort of see the, the most people would, would are surprised to hear that about me because I'm generally reasonably confident when I'm leading, but it's like that that duck under the water stuff. Like you, you see the front part of it, you see all the top part is all calm, all going well, but what you're not seeing under the water is things moving, you know, the feet moving really quickly. I wonder, Corey, whether that's why you're so good at prioritising balance 
because um, you need it. Like you actually need the time to recover and and regenerate yeah. or you'll just crumble. See, I'm yeah. an extrovert, but that can be to my detriment because yeah. I'll go and go and go and go and go until I crash. Um, because, and I know that with my self-awareness, um, but because I have this insatiable need to connect and be around people and because I'm an extrovert, yeah. there is there is no drive to pull back and, and balance out all the time. It's something that I have to keep in check. So I want wonder whether that could be why, you know, some people are better at achieving work-life balance than others because there's this forced way to do it too. Yeah, I, I think though discovery of that is really important because mm-hmm. I remember sort of putting pieces together and working out that I, I am a number three, I'm an achiever. I like to I like to work with people and lead people and do things and work, you know, again, work with people to achieve things. Uh, then I, I've, I've sort of got quite down on myself initially that, um well, if I'm doing this, why, why can't I be out there and be happy all the time? But it's it, when you feel comfortable that actually that that's me as an introverted person. And sometimes when I walk into a room, the first thing I want to do is walk into a corner and assess what's going on so then I can work out my next move. Yeah. That's actually really important for me to understand that I can do both. So there's probably, you know, whether you're introverted or extroverted, I think what I hear from you then is, is the, the key that knowing yourself, knowing sometimes when you've gone too far and need to pull back or for me haven't gone too haven't gone far enough and need to be a bit more extroverted like walking often walking into a room with a room of leaders for the first time for me is a real challenge because you know there's that there's that self-doubt there's the introversion or the forced introversion there's the imposter syndrome all those sort of things that are classic introverted sort of traits and I think well how, how contrasting that how can I be doing that when I'm leading a school of you know 1300 people staff and students but you I think whatever it is, I mean, for me, those two things are important, the Enneagram type three and the introvert, because I know that about myself. I know when I'm low energy and need to pull up. I know when I, you know, need to pull back a little bit because I'm trying too hard. Um, but, it, you know, and it doesn't, sometimes doesn't help when you when you make a public mistake and you overthink things. But I think whatever you are, it's just about knowing yourself. No, exactly. And I always say to clients, it's about knowing the conscious side of you that's easy for us to say like I say oh I'm an extrovert and I really like connecting with people and I'm a bit showy all of those things but it's about also understanding the unconscious or subconscious side of yourself um so you know for me I know that that's learning so I won't admit openly go out there as my first priority to learn and research things but interestingly when I do that gives me a boost in confidence and and motivation Uh, so it won't always be the thing the top of the thing to do each week to read something but I've noticed now that I learned something about myself that when I do do that it actually is very supportive of well-being and my leadership practice that's just an example so it's getting to know yourself inside and out and and that really as we've touched on before is the first key in to de- developing your emotional intelligence is starting with self-awareness. And I think it's also seeing your, your leadership traits as a, sorry, your personality traits as a leader as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the core things that I've done um, here as principal and previously as a deputy principal is engage with an external consultant to help us as leaders understand um, whether it's the Enneagram or another tool, what what our elements are of uh, our personalities and then what is that, how is that lived out as leaders? Because yeah. if you can become conscious about um, when you see yourself doing this and also um, you know, we were, last year we ran a, um, 
a leadership session with the seven of our executive team in bringing um, different tools or strategies that we've had. And we, we sort of almost did a presentation of ourselves to each other. I love so that. About, That's so good. Yeah, it was great. And we, it was really, it builds awareness of others too. Yeah, and it's vulnerabilities as well. Yeah. So like the pretense came down and, you know, we use really simple frameworks like when you see me doing this, watch out. <laughs> when you see me doing this, this is the way I want you to work with me. And this is the best way that I want you yep. to work with me. And then we finished up with something I did last year with, um, uh, two years ago, sorry, with the, uh, an online Harvard Principles Leadership Academy where we um, explored warning labels and, you know, talked about if there was, you know, if, if you were walking into a room, what would you like people to know about you straight away before you met them? You know, think of a three-word warning label. And it's just such a fun activity because yeah, you think great. of, yeah. So that, those those exploring those vulnerabilities. So now, you know, we had a bit of fun. So now I know my seven leaders extremely well and they know me well and they can pull me up when I have a tendency to fall back onto that idea of, you know, the structure and routine of we've got to get, we're only at point one and we have to get to point five and it's bloody 9.30 or whatever. So hold on, Corey, just slow down. And I, I, I'm pretty good at slowing myself down, but what I love is that my team is saying, hold on, just stop for a second. You're going too fast. Okay, good. That's really good. Fantastic. Yeah. And they know that you're open to for them to them to for them to communicate that to you. Yes, in my um leadership workshop I do evolve your leadership. We actually look at the varying personality styles and working styles in the group, yeah. and we talk about it. And, and we work in groups with our own um, personality or working style, and then come back as a group to advocate for why we're amazing to work with, why we're not so great to work with, and and how we can best be supportive of ourselves. And we we end that with a bit of a mastermind where leadership Leaders think of somebody who they lead or work alongside who might be of a different personality type and talk with and network with their team to say, okay, well, you know, you're an eagle or you're a dove and that person who I'm leading I don't always connect with. Yeah. Have you got any advice on that? And it's just so powerful because we can all not only learn about one another but learn from each other in order to be able to lead somebody who might be similar yeah. and just connect with them in a way that lands because that's all leadership is, is learning to connect with and manage the people that we work, that we lead. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. All right. So guiding principle six is to understand that staff well-being is a joint responsibility. So here, leaders and staff recognize and play their part in building and contributing to a positive and healthy working environment. And they work together collectively to support themselves and one another. So here, everybody understands the validity of supporting the various dimensions of their well-being and building on their personal coping strategies in order to influence their own well-being and collective well-being, but also, of course, their professional practice within the working environment. And this I made as part of a guiding principle because I've sat in so many rooms where the debate has often broken out as to whether leaders or staff are responsible for well-being. And really, it's both. Both have a collective responsibility to influence the working environment. But it's my belief that leaders are actually titled, you know, it's their job to lead the pack and, and work towards creating the best conditions for work, culture and well-being in the workplace. Staff alone can't do that, unfortunately. Um, they can't lead staff engagement, vision and direction, manage the workload, um, you know, decide on a student behaviour management or student yeah. management practices. We as leaders really do need to take the reins on that. But likewise, um, our teachers there really do need to support themselves with their own personal coping as well. So it can't go hand in hand. I would never go into a, sorry, it has to go hand in hand. I would never go into a school and only run a workshop where I tell teachers how they can 
look after themselves better on the weekend mm. and how they can open up to their friends and family and then not sit down with the leaders and say, okay, we've got staff saying that this is a stressor, that this could be improved, like what feedback can we take on? Really both of them need to run alongside each other. Yeah, I think you've said it beautifully that it is about both. Like I'm, I'm pretty clear with the staff in saying that part of my job description is to be um, responsible for the work, health and safety of everyone on our work site, right? And that's, you know, distributive leadership across the board with 1,300 people here. Yeah. Um, so that, that's important, but I'm also equally as strong in saying that as a staff member, you're responsible for your own work, health and safety too. Mm. And so there's shared responsibilities there. So you said it beautifully that really my job and our leadership team's job is the climate. Um, and, I've you know, we've talked about that a lot already in this discussion but the climate can only go so far and if a staff member is not taking care of her or his well-being, doesn't matter how good the climate is, they're going to fall down. And similarly, if someone walks in here who wants the absolute best for themselves but I haven't helped to create a climate that's not working, it just doesn't work. Um, mm. So yeah, I think that's right. being really clear about those two dimensions is important. Um, the other side of that, you use the word, I wrote down coping a bit. I, I, I probably purposely steer away from that word. Um because I don't want our staff just to cope. I want them to be happy, enjoying and thriving. Um, so we, we talk about how, how can you be happy um, and not, you know, not sort of fluffy happiness in terms of I'm happy because I'm doing, you know, if things are easy. It, it, our profession is not easy, like it's challenging. And you, you got you got to roll with those challenges, but also get some sort of positive stuff out of it. So we're really into... Um, you know, talk a lot about the privilege that we have as educators, teaching and non-teaching, um, being able to work with students every year. And I'm I'm really careful in my language and working with staff and saying that we've got to remember that, yeah, this is a job that we've chosen, mm-hmm. but it's, a, it's actually our vocation. Like we, we choose to do this, not just because we know staff, but we want to, um, and you talked about it before, develop those soft skills, those capabilities in our students. What they know is important, but in some ways a little bit this might be controversial, a little bit superfluous to the person they are and the person they'll do and they'll become. And, you know, you look at what's happened in the last couple of months with artificial intelligence and chat GPT, what students know, um, you know, has become, uh, I'm holding up a phone, you know, it's pretty much become available on this, you know. It's about what you can do with that and the sort of person you can become and what you can um, add of value to the world. So, Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, yeah. Things are a bit skewed. And I really like, um, you know, the the flag around the word coping strategies. They should almost rename it to thriving strategies, yeah. shouldn't they? And I think, you know, my approach to supporting the well-being of individuals, staff um, included in that is that we have to first of course, there's one element of addressing the problem and learning how to cope and get ourselves back to feeling okay. And then there's the element of thriving. But I really like um, that reframe of the language around we need to put in place thriving strategies. So, you know, the, the, the coping isn't just the standard anymore. We definitely want to be thriving. And we talked about that really early on in the conversation. I love it. I'm going to start using it now, Corey. (laughs) <laughs> but conversely, it's it's okay for a staff member, and I want them, to, I want our staff to be okay with us to say that they're not coping. Like, I don't want to set a bar high that you have to be because thriving. Is, that's right. Yeah, it's part of my uh, leadership bent that I'm pretty high energy and high passion sometimes, 
And so I don't expect, just like I wouldn't expect all of my students to be in that way, Mm -hmm. I don't expect all of my staff to be in that space either. Well, Um, what I often say to to even my one-on-one clients is sometimes when they're not coping, as you say, the first goal is to get yourself just to that that benchmark and then it's often easier then to apply the positive interventions, which are more positive psychology focused, which allow us to thrive. So I look at at it on a continuum. So, you know, you've got sort of plus five, you're up there thriving, zero is just sitting at benchmark and then negative five is, um, you know, is you're not coping. And if you're down in that, down at negative five or negative four, your first goal is to get yourself back to baseline to zero, sitting in the middle. And then from there, you can build on that. So yeah, yeah, it's probably two-pronged approach, coping and thriving strategies. How about we do that? Sounds good. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. Hi there. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to chat to you about our anonymous staff wellbeing surveys. You see, you can't rely on what you think you know about your staff's wellbeing. Unless you've taken the time to collect verbal and written feedback from your staff and analyse the data, there's no way you have the full picture of what's happening in your school. Our anonymous staff wellbeing survey engages staff by allowing them to feel heard and gives leaders tangible data that can be used to create a strategic action plan for improved wellbeing at each individual school. You can choose between two packages. Our DIY staff wellbeing survey option is where you'll receive an editable and easy to distribute survey with a guide to run and interpret your data yourself or our survey with data analysis and recommendation option. Here, I will work with you to conduct your survey and analyze your data and provide you with a full in-depth review of your data and personalized recommendations for you to begin implementing right away. Purchase and download all you need to start capturing staff voice and get started on your school's improvement journey at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash staff hyphen wellbeing hyphen surveys. Now back to the show. Now, um, guiding principle number seven is that well-led schools have a shared vision and a well-being action plan. So mm. the school is guided by a co-constructed and shared vision that's inclusive of well-being, of course. So a lot of the time our visions can be quite student-focused, but again, we are, are leading a group of people, sometimes like in your case, Corey, lots of people. Mm-hmm. So they must make their way into our vision too because without them we have no learning and students. And all staff consult to create and embed a staff wellbeing action plan in some form or another. And that's complete with wellbeing-focused initiatives, processes and support options that are responsive to the school's needs, goals and priorities and, of course, attend to the overall 
overall culture. So I think probably by now listeners are getting uh, the general gist from me that I'm not just a wellbeing focused consultant. It's it's really around building a positive culture. Yeah. Um, but furthermore, this is really important. Uh, well-led schools actually act on their plans and the vision and they continue to keep it front and centre. So you know, my bread and butter of what I do is that I'm a consultant that supports schools to build a wellbeing action plan that is not done in one session. It takes um, a whole year to do that. So again, inquiring into what's happening into each school, what the staff actually need, what the leaders need, um, the evidence-based and research-backed practices that we can put in place, because otherwise, if we don't look into and explore them, we end up building a wellbeing action plan that is full of actions that seem really nice, um, but aren't actually going to make much of a difference. But these wellbeing action plans actually have to be guided by the school's vision. Otherwise, what what are all of the actions for? What what are we working towards? Um, And again, ultimately, that scanning process and the feedback and the consultation ensures that the vision and the plan actually speaks to what staff feel is relevant. And Corey, I know from following you, particularly on LinkedIn for the last couple of years, that you work with your schools to your school, sorry, and your staff to communicate vision and purpose each year. I think even working in themes, I see. Can you yeah. tell the listeners a little bit uh, about that process that you undertake? Because I sure. love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll probably just start by um, addressing the action plan stuff. I think this is where, in some ways, I feel like we're in a little bit of deficit because I, I couldn't tell you our formalized action plan for staff wellbeing. Um, and that's probably a growth that uh, I, we might need to get better at as a school. But I, I think it does flow a little bit. And I don't, I don't like using words like flow and hope because hope's never a strategy. But um, we, it, the, the flow does happen from that starting point. So I, I just sort of just wanted to add that from a structural point of view. And but I also want to let you know that when I work with a school, I will not let them build a wellbeing action plan until they have their vision in place. So you've already been working on and establishing that and making that a common practice. Um, So I think that that's even more powerful than a school who rushes ahead and builds a wellbeing action plan that's not guided by vision. So you're doing it in the right order. (laughs) Thank you. And just in terms of what you asked before in terms of process, like the, the vision for the school was reset prior to me coming here and we use some pretty powerful language of wisdom to seek, courage to thrive and power to change. And there's, you know, beautiful aspirational words in that. Um, and so that, that we, we all understand that's the basis. You know, we, we want the best for our students. And one of the great things about having a school named after a saint like Thomas More is that we've got the market on the word more. So we always want more for our students, right? <laughs> which, is, which is great. There's those um, high expectations. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. From that, though, what we've done in, in my first year here, we, we sort of fell into a theme of our school's 40th birthday. So, you know, we had a theme of 40 more. What I saw it doing was that it really having something that sat on top of that vision sort of helped people to guide all of our discussions and our practices and our starting points. And I think given that we're a school now of over 1,300 people, staff and students, you need to have some common stuff that you work with. So I've actually really enjoyed the theme stuff the last few years. It's um, what I love about it as well is it probably illustrates my growth in leadership that um, the idea sort of comes from me, but it's formed, but then it's thrown out there and it's thrown out on two levels. So what I mean by that is that about halfway through last year, we got a sense of just 
things moving along and I try to keep my ears open. And we started talking about, I started hearing lots about purpose, like different purpose-led initiatives and, you know, questioning our purpose as educators around um, if AI is growing, what does this mean? And, you know, um, is it about skills and capabilities or is it knowledge or is it both? So we at an executive level, we're having lots of discussions about purpose. So that word purpose sort of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And then um, over the break with chat, GPT and AI just, grow, you know, blowing up exponentially, the word purpose just sort of fell into our lap. So as a, as a process this year, I started talking to staff about the idea of purpose. Um, actually, before that, I talked to the executive team about it and we often have an academic reading and we'll break open the idea and then we use that to form our, our executive purpose. But then working with the staff, we throw open the, the big picture idea, which this year was purpose, um, got them to really explore and break it open what it means. They send me some feedback, we use that take it back to our executive staff to say, this is what the staff have given. Let's um, nuance that. Let's take out, let's pull out some of the key things. And then one of the key things that I've learned to do, I give it to someone externally. So we've got an external marketing person who knows a little bit about our school, but isn't on the ground. And I say, look, I've said this, our staff have said this, the executive team said this, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? And then he working with his offsideable feedback um, logos, uh, words, images, and then we take it back to our exec team. So it's almost like a starts from a very simple idea. It branches out and it takes it in different directions. And it's just, it's awesome to watch the directions where it go, where it goes. So it's, I like that it sort of starts from me as the leader and then it's co-constructed and filtered through our executive team, opened up through the, the, uh, the whole school. Those who want to say, come and talk to me, they respond in surveys. And then we really finally tune it as an executive team. And then it's, tested in some ways outside of our school and then it's brought back ultimately for me and our team to make the final call and do you Um, then throughout the year continue to revisit and um and reframe and reference purpose over and over and over again this is one thing that you know leaders will often go in with a vision and it's never revisited and it means that it falls you know falls flat and is never seen again yeah absolutely so it's funny you say that because the first thing i did with staff this year was um when we talked about exploring this theme, I asked them straight away, just just if I was to ask you where you're sitting right now, day one, students haven't returned, we're all excited, we're, we're looking forward to our students coming back. What's your purpose? Like what, what are you hoping to achieve this year? And then we revisited that at the end of the session. I'll revisit that tonight at our staff meeting. Um, and then when I talk to students as a whole cohort in the next two weeks, I'll ask them the same question. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... I find ways to sort of tap into that as much as I can through social media, through newsletter articles, through speeches that I work with with students or when I work into classrooms. Um, and I often, it's become a bit formulaic, but no one's picked up on it yet. So <laughs> magic for anyone. But at the end of the year in um, year 12 graduation, which is one of my favourite events because you've got like 150 young people who you've seen from start to finish and I talk about always the privilege of working with them. But then I, I revisit that theme. I said, so look, start of the year, uh, last year's theme was around impact. Start of the year, I asked you to measure what your impact might be. I want you to sit here now, nine, 10 months later, how have you gone? What have you done? And if you haven't if you haven't had the impact you were hoping to, it's actually okay. What can you learn from that? Where can you go with that? And so I, it gives me um, a bit of a permission to not be too, um, you know, verbose and just writing a script that, or speech that, you know, I feel like I need to say as principle, but something that grounds us from the start, from the end, and it can be really individual as well. Mm. Um, and I and love so, that it's woven into the students and the school community yeah. as well. It's not its own separate entity for just staff. It's, you know, that what that keeps it current and integrated 
um, yeah. whole school wise. And I and I love the choice of purpose because that uh, really is something that a lot of educators have lost throughout the pandemic is their purpose, and particularly as things get were very stressful and in some schools still really are um being guided by our why and our purpose is is a core element of our well-being and if we're thinking about positive psychologist uh, perma model that's the m for meaning and so i love how that theme and the vision is around an aspect that's so core and foundational to our sense of who we are um and and that we're all guided by the same thing and so just to update you on where we're up to with it now, uh, that's why I'm pretty nerdy about this stuff, but, you know, <laughs> um, I, I go full bore and get passionate about stuff, but I love that it's connected all of our staff and gives them a common starting point. Um, we've uh, just set it on the, the version of the vision for our executive team, um, sitting, sitting around purpose. Um, uh, we are, I've sent the details to our um, external consultant. He sent the draft of the logo back to me and I'm going back to him with some ideas. Um, and it's, mo- it's morphed into exploring your purpose, which, and that came from one of our staff. So it's not just about this core thing of purpose, but, you know, exploration is important where we talked about even nuancing words like discovering with hold on, why would you come to a school to discover something? We hope that you're not coming to here as a blank slate. So then we just, we, we, we workshop the idea of, or the word of exploring. Then we thought yours important because we want it just to be not about a general purpose. We want all of our students and our staff to know that their purposes can be different, mm-hmm. you know, and one of the other guiding principles I work with in terms of a um, well-being, I suppose a well-being plan is that um, the idea of the tight and loose stuff, like we're tight on our theme, yeah. we're loose on how you get there. And yeah. I, I love that idea. It, you know, we, we might call this teacher's differentiation, but it's actually what it is. You, you know, you're really clear on your starting point, but, you know, we've got 62 different cultures at our school, so we have to be loose on how people get there. And I just love that about our school. Yeah, and that and that is communicating the vision and but setting those gentle expectations yeah. of what we can expect of one another. Yeah. Um, and I like how you you sort of reiterate there how there are things that you that are there, but they're not something that necessarily will be policed. Um, and that's part. That's what a vision is there for as well. Is that co-constructed vision allows us to communicate what we expect and will hold one another to account for. And that's yeah. not just leaders to staff; it's staff of one another and staff of their leaders too. That's great, Corey. I wonder if um, it'd be possible if you'd be able to even share any of this work that you've done. I know you've put a few of the visuals up uh, on LinkedIn. If you want to flick them through, and I can add them to the show notes if any schools are keen to see some of this Absolutely. great work that you've been doing. Um, I'm sure it will be very inspirational uh, if they're looking to do something similar. Can I just add one thing as well, if that's okay? Yeah, um, of course. One of the things I loved that I know our staff are connecting to this is that I got an email from a staff member probably mid-January saying, oh, just just wondering, have you thought about what the theme's going to be this year? Can I get a um, a bit of a um, a bit of a lead-in? And I, I said to him, I love that you've asked me this question I can't really tell you because I, I don't want to reveal it yet, but I told him anyway and I found a way to tell him. But I just love, I said, I love that he's thinking, you know, not that I want an, an, an unhealthy connection with our staff, or with our school, but isn't it beautiful that this person is not necessarily sitting there stressing about what he's going to teach, but he's, he's thinking and he's engaging and what what is going to be the theme and how can I start thinking in this way? I just, mm. I just thought it was a beautiful illustration. Yeah, that's so good. Right. The people crave that and that's the an example of why it's so important for us it's that it makes up one of those parts of having psychological safety 
um, and yeah. it's a positive intervention. No, I love it. Yeah. All right, so guiding principle number eight is to promote collaboration and nurture strong relationships. So strong and well-formed workplace relationships underpin a working environment where staff feel connected and collective in their approach to school improvement. Collective teacher efficacy, coaching and mentoring and shared vision aligns all staff to work towards co-constructed goals and strategic plans. So we can begin to see here how relationship building is not just restricted to the social aspects, so after work drinks or morning teas, there are actually multiple ways to build relationships amongst our staff, um, including things like coaching and mentoring opportunities, um, you know, structured collaborative efforts. Um, and what I mean by that is that not all of our staff know or have the skills in how to collaborate and not all of our leaders are initially skilled in how to lead collaborative efforts. So it might mean that we are required to have some certain scaffolds, so an inquiry approach like the spiral of inquiry, any kind of action research um, and professional learning communities are just some examples. So often when we think about relationships in school, we think, oh, yep, we'll just plan those um, activities where staff can socialise, which is just but one element. There are really creative ways that we can actually build relationships outside of that. Um, And Corey, I'm curious, how do you build the social and collaborative relationships of the staff in your school? Yeah, um, probably a a few guiding principles and it comes back to um, helping to make purpose and reason out of a quite a large school. Um, I, I can't do that myself uh, all myself and not one person can so we talk about that all of our like the the idea of understanding that we belong to teams Mm -hmm. and all of our staff work in teams and you connect to that so the leaders of those teams like as an executive team we lead leaders who lead other leaders who lead teams right and so it's not about having one leadership style but it's about knowing your purpose of leadership so for us it's that uh, words like team is important words like leader over coordinator is important because a coordinator does stuff and organizes stuff a leader leads things mm. right so that that language is important um but then you know we have some common principles and common practices so all of our staff we talk about are coaches we don't lead by a top-down approach um, but we work with staff and that's that language of working with uh, so to coach staff through things so um we put our um we we work with our uh, middle management to try and work them through the cognitive coaching courses to understand. I don't know if you're familiar with cognitive coaching very much, yep, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the language of getting in between someone and their thinking. And mm-hmm. that's what coaching is. It's so important mm-hmm. to try and help them come up with their own or discover what they might be unassumed or unexplored. Um, and that that's our leadership model. So we're all coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a point sometimes where we know that we need to be instructional leaders because the coaching stuff is not working. Um, one of the steps I love in coaching, though, is, um, and you'd be surprised how much this often works when you might say to staff, they might say, oh, I've got no idea how to do this. You say, well, look, imagine you did have an idea. What would that idea be? And sometimes just that extra prompting actually really helps them. And it's it's beautiful when, um, you know, you think that a staff member doesn't have an idea and that they come up with one through your, you know, the um, way that you work through them uh, or work with them, sorry. Um mm. So that, yeah, so it's about, as I said, all staff being coaches, 
uh, all staff work restoratively with our staff. They lead with um, and they all lead teams, that distributed leadership model. Yeah, I, I love the idea of all staff being coaches because this is something that we emphasised when I was back at school as well and um, in our setting was that there's opportunities for peer feedback, for yeah. learning walks. Um, yes, it definitely wasn't from a deficit model. I think, you know, I remember starting in my teaching career, you'd get a coach would come in because you needed support in an area and it, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't as supportive as you would think that it was because um, for some staff who constantly got coaching and were the only ones, it um, it didn't always feel good. And I think that that element of and that culture of that we can all be coaches and we can all be coached is yeah. really important. But I think coaching and mentoring, particularly when everyone's doing it, is the best way to build relationships yeah. and also attend to the school's strategic directions as well. It's just a really smart way um, of bringing that those two together. And we need to, of course, as part of that, build a really robust and effective coaching and mentoring process and system yeah. and framework. I think it's also important in our context for staff to know that while, you know, I lead a team who lead teams with other people, that doesn't necessarily cascade back to me. So what I mean by that is that if a, a coach, um, you know, at this point is working with a teacher here, that's not going to come back to me. Like the purpose is not to feed information back to me. It's actually about improving in that co coaching relationships, uh, relationship how both people might be working. Um, Absolutely. That, that's important. Yep. You mentioned the social stuff as well. Um Oh, that one of the things I love about your work is that the social stuff doesn't, and you promote this all the time, the social stuff doesn't work if the other stuff is not right. Mm. And because for the most part, I think we lead and we work in a well a well school or a well-led school, the social stuff is really important to us. So we do, you know, we have the social outings, we have the coffee mornings, all those sort of things. But on top of that, we also try to find ways, and we're probably exploring this a bit more, about how staff can just have fun here with each other um, so an example of that is we have a staff band. Um, oh, that's so and, good. Yeah. Um, Does it sound so, okay? <laughs> well, we're, we're, I, I'm part of it, so I think we're all right. Um, what instrument that, do you play? Well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm the singer, which is interesting. Oh, there um, you go. But what I love about that is that um, it's – I didn't set that up as the principal, even though I'm, I love doing it. So I, you know, sort of pushed it a little bit, but I didn't say, right, we have to do it. Therefore we're going to do it. It's a group of people who just get together uh, every couple of Friday afternoons and just, just jam, if I can use that word. That's and so great. it is, it's cool. And when I'm there. What um, a great purpose. Oh, it, it's, it's great. And yeah. When I'm there, it's it's not it's, it's not the principal who's there. I'm actually there with my colleagues, just having fun. Yeah, Corey. Um, yeah, and I, I've got to be careful with that because there's always a sense of positional power, and I, I don't want to put staff in that negative position either. Um, but it's just cool to be able to belong. So we have other, you know, other small things that people can belong to. Um, but for my well-being, that's actually really important because I've found purpose in connecting socially with a group of people who in some ways I'm in awe of because they're really talented musicians and I'm just a try-hard person who sort of thinks that I can sing a little bit. Um, so it's, it's really cool. Oh, that's um, hilarious. You know, we often hear the term choir practice in a lot of schools, but I love how there's an actual band. You probably yeah, hear an announcement well. going across and, you know, anyone um, who works in a school or knows what choir practice means when they hear band practice, will probably, yeah, sure, but it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. I love that. And, yes, those opportunities to connect yep. with staff and build relationships relationships outside of um just the outside of our stuff is really important because yeah. 
building memories with people that we wouldn't often share memories with at school is important because we can might cross by them in the in the corridor or in the staff room and remember that time where we engaged with them on a level that we might not have normally yeah. you know particularly after having children I found it really hard to get to after work things mm-hmm. but um so of course because it was up to me because I was the um you know in charge of well-being I would just program all of the team building things within work hours so <laughs> um but they uh, they were so highly effective uh if you know you cancel something that might be more curriculum focused to focus on that, on that every once in a while uh, has is very powerful. So yeah. something that I always suggest that schools do, even just once a term, if you can dedicate one of your staff meeting times to the opportunity to, yeah. to build relationships, team building is really important. And I think that it's, again, it's your work. It's great. That it talks about that's, that's the on top of, it's not the strategy. And yeah, yeah I think that's really important. Yeah, and I mean, if you've got a coaching and mentoring program, a collaborative scaffold in place, um, your leaders are emotionally intelligent and know how to manage those relationships, and that includes um, conflict and managing and preventing conflict and intervening where required, that is also a part of building positive relationships. It's it's not just that add-on. All right, so we've reached the end here. We've got Guiding Principle 9, which is that well-led schools engage their staff. So here leaders apply evidence-based strategies and leadership styles uh, or approaches to ensure that staff are equipped to enact the school's vision, work with their personal and professional strengths, feel motivated within their roles and are provided with relevant and profe- uh, sorry, relevant professional learning and career progression opportunities. So here, engagement initiatives, of course, as I said before, are predominantly leadership-led. Uh, and when I'm running the surveys with schools, there's a big section um, on what it act- on some of those engagement practices. So that, of course, begins with vision. Um, our staff must first be engaged by the vision and, and part of that. But it also includes things like effective goal setting, mm-hmm. both individually and in teams. Uh, and like I said before, supportive of the development of staff. And that isn't just professional development opportunities. It's also an understanding of their roles and responsibilities, uh, what their strengths are and whether they're working with them, whether the leadership is distributed across the school. Uh, engagement is also dependent on really good systems, procedures, and frameworks. And this is so that staff really are freed up to do what they do best, which is teach and collaborate. So um, we often can forget about that, that if we don't have the processes and systems in place, that can mean that we're more reactive in our day-to-day than able to be innovative. And of course, uh, that engagement also includes the provision of regular and timely feedback, definitely from our leaders, um, but also from one another as staff. Um, Corey, what role do your leaders take in engaging the staff across the school? Yeah, we, we as probably with everything I've talked about, we try to start simple and go complex from there because <laughs> we, we, we just need to with the size yeah. of our school. Yes, you would. And Everyone so, needs something different. You've got so many different strengths and lots of different projects going on. Yeah, and it's the the, the tight and loose stuff. So the, the tight stuff is what we call um, ours, um, sounds very, it is very teacher talk, a school-wide pedagogical framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has sort of happened before my time here and we've helped to nuance it a bit more. But we have four principles that we work with that uh, aim to address a lot of those elements that this this um, uh, what you're talking about works with. So we've got relationships, relevance, responsiveness, and reflection, and they're they're the four things that we're tied on as staff. And we've actually put um, these uh, posters around the school and saying that um, 
students, this is what you can expect from us, you know. So you you can expect me to be in relationship, to be relevant to you, to be responsive to your needs and to help you reflect on what's going on and for me to be able to reflect. And if I'm not, I actually want you to tell me. So if I'm your teacher and I'm not being in relationship with you, I want you to pick me up on that in a respectful way. I might tell you why I'm not or I might say, oh, gee, thanks for reminding me. I've got to keep doing this. So I mentioned those four things because that's often our starting point. We use those four elements then as goal setting for our staff at the start of the year. So there's a core group of the executive leadership plus some of our coaches, our leadership coaches, um, who will work with teaching and non-teaching staff to set some of their goals around probably one or two or three of those four R's. And unbeknownst to our staff, have actually started doing it because when I asked them at the start of the year what their purpose was, and then the end of it, I asked them to try and frame that purpose in the context of one or two of those goals when we formally launch this, we have a, um, a student free day in about four weeks where we'll take that morning to really help us refine what those goals are. So we don't say when you walk in, right, have your four goals set done. We take some time to settle in for the term and we say, what have you seen? What have you noticed? What do you reckon your goals are for the year? What do you want to work on, right? And so that that then out of the, the tightness of those four hours, there's a looseness of the staff forming those goals. Then there's a coaching meeting every term because – Respectfully, if a staff member has a goal that's aligned to one of those pillars but has nothing to do with the school, then we've got a bit of a challenge. So um, we want to be as inclusive as we can, but ultimately we will, sorry, and ultimately we have to make sure the goals are aligned to the school's development and a staff member's development as well. Yeah, so, well, they have to be aligned to that purpose. But, but yeah. what I really like about your approach to goal setting is that you mentioned the non-teaching staff. Absolutely. When I run the surveys, a lot of the time I will see that in terms of career development, the provision of feedback, goal setting, when it comes to our non-teaching and admin staff, those practices are often scored a lot lower. Yeah. Um, because, our yes, our non-teaching staff can be forgotten. It's really important that we're supporting their career development as yeah. well and their engagement. We, we use the word educators a lot. Mm-hmm. And in my communication with staff and students and families, I'll always use the word educators or the phrase teaching and non-teaching staff mm-hmm. because, um, yeah, it's the way that our non-teaching staff work with our students is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially when these four R's came out, they were called a school-wide pedagogy. And that word pedagogy is like teacher talk, you know, it means a whole bunch of stuff, art and science of teaching, whatever you want to refer to it as. But one of the great things that our business manager here did, who technically is the head of the non-teaching staff, he talked about and developed this idea of a framework around school-wide pedagogy because those four R's apply just as much to our non-teaching staff as they do to our teaching staff. So it has become a whole school goal. Um, and, you know, on, on top of that, that sort of helps with a little bit of a process. It's not perfect, um, but we're trying to develop. Um, we're always trying to refine that. Um, no, I think it's smart to tie your engagement practices back to to one, one key hub, really. Yeah. And um, otherwise, this is where we can start to see things looking really different yeah. across teams. Yeah. And in a perfect world, the, the staff will develop goals connected to the you know the three or four of the pillars that I've mentioned but also we'll find a connection to um, the theme which is purpose mm-hmm. um, and then in a perfect perfect world the coach <laughs> will help them align those goals to some of the school strat goals um, that's when it just flows beautifully and yep. it's interesting when I did an induction with new staff this year like, because we're a growing school we had 18 new staff this year so getting that induction which we probably haven't done very well in the past we, we're doing it a lot better this year I think. Um, but we'll get some feedback from our staff as well on that. 
Um, one of the staff members talked about at her previous school, the principal got up and spent two hours on the strategic plan. And I purposely spent one minute and said, look, I just want you to know we have a strat plan. It's really detailed. Here's where it is. It's my and the executive and the board's job to run it. If you want to know about it, I'm happy to spend an hour talking to you about it. Know we've got it in hand. Know that, and I hope that you can see some connection with our initiatives. You don't need to know it off by heart because really that's my job, right? Yeah, I think it's more important for them to know the purpose and the vision of the school than that. And, yes, uh, and they, if you plan your vision well, you work out how you can demonstrate or display visually how your strategic plan fits into and funnels into your overall vision. Without sure. the vision and the purpose of the school, then the other things aren't possible. Yeah. So, yes, I think I agree with you. I think it's more important to get clear on a vision and direction than on a strategic plan. Yeah. Mm. And then in working and probably leading our executive team, the other part of that is that my job is to be accountable to our strat plan. So we've developed a provision, you know, because sometimes it's easy to forget that our executive leaders, while they lead with me, I'm still their leader too. Mm. Um, so working with them to and our strategic plan is quite broad, but then to set individual goals connected to that, they can help to lead their teams. We've got a mechanism whereby um, we I meet with them um, every couple of weeks, but formally twice a term around setting those goals and then reviewing with a traffic light system where you're up to. And it's not about, you know, checking that you've Touching done it, it, but if you haven't done it, that's okay. Why? Is it because you didn't get time or is it because it's not important anymore? And if it's in the red, do we need it? No. Okay. See you later. Mm-hmm. It's gone. And that that's, so that, so having those strat goals and for me to develop a system to work with that has been really important. So um, it does I like come, that as a way of streamlining your initiatives and, and yeah. practices and processes too. And then that's that consultation. If it's, yeah, if that's not working, let's scrap that. Let's not yep. keep doing something that's just adding to your workload. And then conversely, if, if they're not doing something that I know needs to be done, so look, we just need to do this. How do we find a way to get there? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I never want it to be, I'm telling you, you have to do it, so just do it because that's the lowest, like compliance and authoritarian leadership is the lowest form of any sort of buy-in and we never get there with my executive team because they're just brilliant. But, yeah, I was about um, to say though, if you've communicated your vision yeah. and your purpose and your process well, you shouldn't. they understand why they have to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The other side of those conversations, those goal-setting conversations that, and, you know, the professional learning plan that our staff set is that, um, and this is part of the benefit of working in a system, you know, we're in Catholic Education South Australia, there's lots of opportunities for career advancement and my job, you know, one of the multifacets of my job is to grow um, teachers and our leaders to be the best they can be. Now, if that means, unfortunately, they leave our school but go somewhere else in the system to advance their leadership continue with the mission of our school, that's okay as well. I, I hate losing our staff, but if I'm going to lose them, I'll lose them to the system and then or the school in the system. And if they're advancing their leadership, that's fine as well. So there's that we work, I'm probably really uh, beneficial to work in Catholic Ed South Australia where there's, I've been afforded lots of different opportunities in terms of professional development. Um, I met with, excuse me, our deputy this morning to try and map out um, some professional development stuff for our staff as well. Um, stuff that we're asking some staff to do, some of our leaders, but also some stuff that we're offering. And there's, we, we think it's a, it's a good field to be able to offer, but we're also open to anything our staff want to do, you know, within reason and budget as well. Well, absolutely. I mean, just as you will send um, staff to the next point in their journey, you receive new staff who are yep. at that next level as well. You can also be really beneficial Correct. for the school. I think that that's really important as leadership and that's part of 
high trust and supportive leadership too, is that you're supporting the person and the professional who's there um, and not only always thinking out for the best interests of you and the school. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much, Corey, for for sitting with me to talk through the nine guiding principles of a well-led school that I have identified up until now. We were laughing just before we hit record because I was saying there's probably a hundred guiding principles. Mm. But um, I thought I'd ask you, Corey, are there any other principles you think that are missing that leaders can consider when looking to become part of or build or evolve a well-led school? Oh, it's probably a, a personal thing, but I noticed that it, it hadn't appeared anywhere in uh, what you've written, but it's the idea of passion. Um, mm-hmm. Like I remember when I went for my first job interview and, um, you know, I was 21 year old, I had no idea what I was really doing or saying. I'm amazed that, you know, they were stupid enough to give me a job. Um, <laughs> but the last thing they asked me is they said, pick of, think of three words to describe yourself. And the last word I used was passion. And it's actually the, the first and the last word I'd use now. Um, and I'm, I'm really proud that stayed true to me as a, um, probably as a student and then a teacher and then a leader. Um, and I think it's, it's so important in your leadership because if I can't see passion in what I'm doing, um, yeah, I'm almost wasting my time. So mm. I'm passionate by nature. It's sometimes where my heart must leave a bit too much. Um, but, yeah, I, I, for that, that massive guiding principle for me, just just be passionate. Like, And it, it comes back to purpose and probably all the things that you're talking about in connecting to wellbeing. And it, you, you've got to be passionate about what you do because if you do, you feel good about it and you feel well about what you're doing and you understand there's going to be bumps along the way. But if you bring it back to your overall passion and you're on the course, mm-hmm. um, it's beautiful. All right. Well, guarding principle number 10 <laughs> is that well-led schools are led by passionate leaders, staff, and educators and with <laughs> and, passion and students. yes with passion love it um we also see a number of quotes circulating on social media so i'm thinking linkedin showcasing something really thought provoking or inspiring from thought leaders across the globe and throughout time if a quote was circulating from you on the topic of health well-being or leadership Corey, what would it say oh wow um it's, it's probably related to passion and there's two sides of that um it's love what you're doing um and you know i'm hesitant to say them go hard or go home um, <laughs> there's a competitive streak in you <laughs> yeah just just but it's it's not so much tapping into the competitive stuff it's just it's just what Give you're your doing best. just yeah go 100 percent at it you know because mm-hmm. there's you leave nothing on the field i'm sorry to bring a sporting analogy because i'm a really <laughs> poor sports but a tragic sports person i love sports. <laughs> i'm just crap at it but it's just you know, that, that sense of just just do what you're doing and take it and go passionately with it. Do your best. And that can yeah. sometimes mean also resting, resting really yep. well and then coming back and giving your all when you've got yep. the when the energy tank is refueled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and this podcast is aptly titled Well-Led Schools, which, of course, as we've talked about today, is a play on words to reflect those schools who lead with well-being in mind. What is one thing you think schools and school leaders can do to prioritise well-being that would make the biggest difference in their school? I think it's operating from that working with principal, Adrian, like just knowing that you, you certainly as a leader, um, your job is a privilege. Um, and as a teacher and non-teaching staff, whenever you're working with people or leading people, your job is a privilege. And if you if you take sort of if you start from that premise, the next step is to work with people. Um, you know, it's not perfect, but I think it's a good starting point. Yeah. 
I love it. Thank you. That was such a good point. Thank you again so much for joining me today, Corey. It's been great having a chat with you and I hope the listeners got just as much out of our conversation as I did. You're doing amazing things. I know you won't ever admit that (laughs) to me, especially when I've complimented you in the past. You're very humble, but um, your school is very lucky to have you and and the, the community at large. And again, I thank you for being with me today. Thanks, Adrian. My pleasure. Thanks Thank you so much. Thanks again so much for joining Corey and I today. The guiding principles are but one element of my approach to supporting staff well-being and building a positive school culture. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to supporting schools to address staff burnout and foster a positive working environment, you can join me for a free and live training on February 16th. During this training, I'll step you through why you need to lead your school with well-being in mind. And again, those nine guiding principles that well-led schools are guided by in this current climate. We'll talk about why positive psychology, the PERMA model and an inquiry approach to staff well-being is essential for your school's success. We'll also cover evidence-based ways from the most up-to-date educational leadership research to support burnt-out staff and school-wide plans and initiatives that actually work. We'll chat about the importance of a staff well-being action plan for your school and how to put it all together with my six steps to becoming a well-led school and those first steps you need to take and so much more. You can register at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash live hyphen training hyphen February. And that's also linked in the show notes for you. Hope to see you there. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.